perfect. That's what I, what, I, what I want you to understand. All of us make mistakes. All of us act rashly or, or say something we didn't, shouldn't have said or say something out of anger or say something out of frustration or do something that we shouldn't have done because we were upset or frustrated. And so I want to share this story. When I was a young youth pastor, this is actually the first place I was ever on staff as a church member and the first, or a church uh, pastor. And I was a youth pastor at a church in Austin, Texas. And the first thing they had me do, this was probably like Tuesday of the week I started, they sent me what I know now on the run that nobody else wanted to do. And that was going to Sam's Club and picking up stuff for the nursery and apple juice and all this different stuff. I said, okay, well, I don't have a card yet. And they said, oh, it's at, the, it's at Sam's Club. All you got to do is go to the counter, show them your ID. They'll give you the Sam's Club card, and that's the church credit card too. Just use that card to pay for it too. You'll be okay. Well, young youth pastor, small bank account, no first paycheck yet. And I walk in and I said, I, I remember telling Lee as we were walking up, it's a good thing they have a church credit card because I couldn't get reimbursed for what we have to go buy. I don't have the money to pay for it. And I go to the counter and the lady says, how can I help you? I said, uh, you guys have a card for me already. Here's my ID. I just need to pick up the card. Well, I don't know if the lady was having a bad day or if she was just didn't understand. Maybe she was new, but she said, there's no card for you. It'll be in the mail. There's nothing here. I said, well, will you please look and just see maybe there's a box there or maybe ask somebody. And she said, well, you think I don't know my own job. Being a young man and not as patient as I should have been, her anger triggered my temper. And so I started telling her all the ways that she could do her job better. Now, I didn't use any foul language. I didn't say anything that I couldn't record and let you listen to today. But that lady, five foot one lady, looking at a six foot two, 300 pound man, who's clearly angry, was not a good testimony for our church. And as I, Leo will tell you, as I walk through the store, I'm mad at everything. I'm mad at the cart. I'm mad at the, uh, the, the aisles. Have you ever gone in a warehouse store in the winter and you touch something and it's static electricity? Let me tell you something. In that moment, that was the most angering thing ever. Everything I touched on the, every shelf would shock me. I was mad at the shelves. Mariah, uh, Abby was less than one at the time. Lily was two at the time. I was mad at the kids because they were talking. I was mad at everything. If you walked in front of me, I was giving you a mouth and I just was mad. And Leah said, why are you so mad? I said, stop, I'm not mad. Okay, why are you so mad? The whole time, mad at myself for being so foolish, right? For making a, a mistake. And so we get up to the register and we're checking out and I'm just trying to figure out how am I going to pay for all this stuff? I'll have to figure it out later. So I'm pulling through and getting ready to pay. And I say, here, here's the card. You pay. I'll be right back. And she says, where are you going? So I'm just going to customer service. And she tried to stop me. Leah grabs my arm. Don't. Don't go back there. Just stay here. She thought I was going to chew the lady out again. I walk up, I see the lady start taking steps backwards. She was at the counter and she slowly starts going backwards. I see her turn and call for a manager as soon as I'm walking up. And it occurred to me, I had made an impact on this lady and it wasn't a good one. And I walked up and I said, no, don't, don't get the manager. And all I said was this, I said, sorry. I said, I'm just having a long week. I've been having a rough day. It's my fault. It wasn't your fault. I apologize. I shouldn't have said the things I said. You did a great job. I, I, I shouldn't have been that way. And I just that's all I said. Simple as that. Just a simple apology. And I could see the change on her face. And she said, well, actually, I found your credit card, too. <laughs> Hands me the card. And so in that moment, it was a secondary test where I'm thinking, okay, now is when I say, I told you so. You were wrong. You should have done what I said. 
But I didn't. I was gracious and I walked out. And the thing about that, that I realized that day and I realized for the months going forward, I worked at that church for three more years. And every time I walked in that Sam's Club, that lady was at that front counter and had nice words to say to me. She wanted to talk to me. She'd tell me how her day was going. She'd ask about the church. We'd have conversations, sometimes 15, 20-minute conversations, with a lady that the first interaction she ever had with me was she was terrified that I was going to do something to her. So how does that happen? I went back and made it right when I messed up. You know what's something? In your life, as you walk through every day, you're going to mess up. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to do things wrong. You're going to say things the wrong way. But the best testimony you could ever have is to go back and humble yourself and say, I shouldn't have done it that way, and I apologize. That's not how I feel. That's not what I should have done. You don't deserve that. You know what? That lady never remembered that I was the one that yelled at her and that was so mad at her. She always remembered that I was the nice guy that brought in the kids after that. And it was because I went back and fixed where I had messed up. You know, my weakness, I thought, was, man, I just really failed. This lady knows I work at the church. She's never going to want to come there. In fact, I know for a fact that she came to two or three different special events that we had at our church after that point. It wasn't because I yelled at her, and it wasn't because I was such a great person, but it was God putting on my heart, go back and talk to her again. The same thing's true in your life. As you walk through life, we're going to have frustrating days. We're going to have bad days. But the thing that you've got to remember and you've got to stay focused on is that my lifestyle and my actions have an impact on how they see Christ. And it should be a good one. It shouldn't be a bad one. So he says there, the folks that are around you. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on further. He comes back and he tells the master, he says, listen, I've reached them all. The master goes on and he says, not only... The ones that are near you, he goes on further, he says, the ones that are in need. He talks about the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. And here's a call to us. Sometimes we get so focused on reaching people that look just like us and act just like us and have the same demographic as us and have the same kind of money as us and have the same things as us. And the thing is, the Bible doesn't call us to that. The Bible calls us to those that are in need, that have physical problems, that have financial problems, that maybe socially are cast out, that we are called to reach them with the gospel because the same Jesus that changed us in our situation has a great desire to change them in their situation. And he's given us the opportunity to be a part of that process. So he says, go out into the streets, go out into the lanes, and reach those that are in need. But he doesn't stop there. The, the, the slave comes back to the master. He says, listen, I've reached all these people. The ones that are coming have come. They're in the church. Uh, not in the church. They're in, at the table now. <clears throat> the master says, there's still room. Keep reaching. Keep going. He sends them out again. And this time he says this. He says, go out into the highways and the hedges. And I want you to understand that, that phrase, we hear that a lot. We hear that commonly, go into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. You've probably heard that. You may have seen it on a bumper sticker. You may have seen a book called that. And we don't really dig into what that means. But when he says the highways and the hedges, what he's talking about are people that live outside of the city gates because of a few different reasons they could be out there. Number one, it could be that ethnically or racially they're not accepted in the city, and so they've been pushed as outliers of the city. They can't live inside. They're outside the gates. They're on the highways in between two towns. That's one option. It could be that they are diseased or destitute. In those days, if you had leprosy, you were cast out of the city, and you had to declare that you were unclean. So it may be people that had something in their life that caused everybody else to say, listen, we don't want to be close to you. We don't want to be a part of what you're doing. But it made them outliers. The third thing that it could be is that they, had, they were so destitute. They had so little that the only place they could live 
is under the hedges. Now, the word hedges here, we see it as, okay, well, they've got a nice bush. they got, you know, here's maybe a holly bush, and they're sitting underneath. That's the hedge. But in those days, the word hedge just meant a gate or a fence. And so these were people that were just finding shade somewhere and just getting out of the sun and getting out of the way and living their life, and that was home to them. You say, well, who are these people? The Bible talks about the outliers here. The first part of these outliers that I want you to see is that they're unserved or underserved. Right? And we're, it's easy for us to forget that even within, within our community, there's a community of people or there's a population within our community that have nobody helping them. They've got nobody reaching out to them. They've got no church family. They've got no uh, family that's, that's their blood family. They've got no organization that's reaching out to them. You say, well, maybe that's by their own decision. Possibly. Well, maybe that's because they don't fit the demographic or they, don't, they haven't tried or they haven't reached out to a program. But, but regardless of all that, here's the thing. We as a church are called to be serving those that are unserved and underserved. So what does that look like? Maybe it looks like the guy that's homeless down the street. That's one of them. Maybe it's a population of refugees. Uh, you say, well, we don't have that. Let me tell you something. My daughters went to Gulfgate Elementary uh, not last year, but the year before. And in their classroom, I thought, I'll, I'll be honest, as a dad, I called Abby a liar. I had to apologize for this. She came home and she said, Dad, I'm learning Polish and I'm learning Spanish and I'm learning German. I said, no, you're not. Don't, don't tell stories. Just tell us what you're really learning. And she said, no. And then there's sign language I'm learning too. I said, Abby, tell me the truth. Like I can remember, this was a dinner time conversation. I was saying, you do not lie. You tell the truth. You're not learning Polish and German and Russian and Spanish and sign language. I think those were the five. And finally, all year I kept telling her, whatever, just don't talk about it, Abby. And at the end of the year, I went on a field trip with this class. And I was sitting down with the teacher. And the teacher was telling me all about this. And she started pointing out. She said, that little boy doesn't speak English. He just got here from Russia. That little boy doesn't speak English. He just got here from Germany. That little girl and that little boy, they're cousins from Poland that don't speak English. And I'm just turning bright red. The teacher has no, no idea why I'm turning red or what is bothering me. And it occurred to me, I have got to apologize to my seven-year-old because I've been calling her a liar for a year and she's been telling me the truth. But the other thing that occurred to me was this. There's this whole group of people, even in my daughter's class, that I was completely unaware that they're underserved or unserved. So what does that mean that they're underserved or unserved? It means that nobody is reaching out to them with love and with support. Listen, think about where you would be if nobody in your life was reaching out to you with love and support. It'd be a tough life to live. And that's, as a church, that's why we exist. That's what we're called to do. We should be reaching out to those that are unserved and those that are underserved. The next thing that we need to understand, those outliers, are those that are far away Say, maybe you're here and you think, why do we do world missions? Why are we so worried about Kathleen King? Why are we so worried about supporting the International Mission Board? Why are we so involved in the North American Mission Board? Why do we give money and send people? And why, are we, why do we want to go on missions trips? Here's why. We're called to do it. He says here that they are far away. I want you to think about it. This is not people that just live down the street. He says, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. What he's saying is, get out of your city. Get out of your realm of comfortableness. Get out of your place that you are and go out and reach people. Go bring them to me because what I have for them is greater than what they have right now. <clears throat> so we hear, see here that we're called to reach those that are far away. The last thing I want you to see here is this. It's those people that are outside of our regular course of life. Here's what it takes. 
Sometimes to do what God is calling you to do, you have to be a little bit inconvenienced. You got to go a little bit out of the way. Look at the Samaritan. The good Samaritan, he went way out of his way to reach somebody that he didn't know. We're given that as an example in Scripture that we are called to go out of our way, to go out of our regular daily, uh, daily program, our daily routine, our daily path. If you're like me, I learn a few roads really quickly when I move to a town. The road from my house to my job and the road from my house to the grocery store and the road from my house to whatever restaurant that I happen to have gone to a couple times. Those three places become this little tree of directions. This is where I go. And you know, God had to change that in me. I told you the story a couple times about how at the YMCA, I, I had already decided I don't have time to be here. I don't have time to start anything. I've got so much going on at the church. I, I can't really be here. And God regularly kept saying, you need to be involved here. You need to be involved here. You need to be involved here. And after about six months of telling him no and him opening the door back up and me shutting the door and him opening the door back up and me shutting the door, finally I realized that God wanted me to step out of what my lifestyle was right then and change it because he had people he wanted to reach outside of where I would normally be. The same thing's true for you. I'm not telling you you all need to go coach at the YMCA, although if you want to, I think we have got some available spots. You can come coach. But for you, maybe it's something different entirely. But what he is calling you to do is specific to you. There's something in your life, there's some ability, some personality trait, something about you that he's made specifically about you that opens doors that other ones in our church wouldn't have open to them. And you have got to be willing to step out of your comfort zone, step out of your regular everyday routine, step out of what you've already been doing to reach these people that are outside of your sphere of influence. That's what we're called to do here. And the goal is not that you go, and like I said, we're not going and beating them over the head with the Bible and just dragging them into church. What we're doing is we're expanding that sphere of influence. Do you see how that happens? When you change the regular course of where you go, now your sphere of influence has grown. Because now when you, in my life now, the YMCA is within my sphere of influence. I know enough people there. I know enough kids there that now I don't go in there anonymously anymore. I go in there and I hear about 10 different kids yell coach from across the gym. I hear the front desk person know me by name. And it's not because oh, I'm doing such great things. It's because I've expanded where I go because I know God wants me to influence more than where just I am right now. It would be easy for me to just sit at a desk in there seven days a week and just never step out of here. That'd be really easy. It'd be really stress-free. It'd be really, uh, you know, there wouldn't be a lot of arguments. I don't argue with myself often, and the secretary usually agrees with me, and so we would probably be okay if you don't know that joke went over the secretary's my wife, which is, she does disagree with me a lot, so that was a lie anyway. But um, anyhow, it would be so much easier just to sit at my desk and study God's word and say, well, I'm doing a good thing because I'm reading the Bible and I'm studying. But let me tell you something. That's not what I've been called to do. Let me tell you something. It would be easy for you to just go to work, come home, eat dinner, go to bed, go to work, come home, eat dinner, go to bed. It would be easy to live that lifestyle the rest of your life. But let me tell you something. God has not called you to go to work, come home, go to bed. God has called you to something. And I don't know what that is, but I do know He's made you a fisher of men. And so I do know he wants you to expand that circle of influence. Maybe it's something as simple as tutoring a nephew. 
Maybe it's something as simple as volunteering at a local school. Did you know that if you walk into Gulfgate Elementary School, they have a computer full-time set up there for you to sign up as a volunteer, and they will send you an email and ask you to come and be an influence at their school. Doesn't that just blow your mind? I would have never thought that that was possible, but it's absolutely true. They do a background check. They put you in positions where you can help read. You could be working in tutoring and math. You say, well, what's the catch? There is no catch. You just have to be willing to step outside of your regular sphere of every day and do just a little bit more. So why would I do that? Because followers fish. You've got to expand who you're talking to. I hear so many times in church, especially with teenagers, well, all of my friends are already Christians. You need to expand your sphere of influence then. If your thought is, everybody I know and everybody I talk to already goes to church, I'm not telling you to befriend and be you know, best buds with somebody that doesn't believe in God, but I am telling you that you should love and care about and be involved in the life of somebody that doesn't know Christ. Maybe that's our starting point today. If you don't have somebody in your life that needs Christ, go and befriend somebody that does. One person. Start with one. And expand that. Because the people that are outside your regular course of life often are who God's going to bring to, your, uh, bring, to, bring to himself through you. Second thing. So first we've got go where the fish are. The second two are quicker, I promise. They're shorter. The second one is this. Use the right bait. Now you say, so uh, you're telling me that, that we're supposed to really literally be fishing and like, trying to lure people to Jesus? Not exactly. But I'm, I'll tell you this. And, and my mom used to tell me this all the time. You attract more flies with honey than with vinegar, right? You guys have heard that before. So many times, we present the church as vinegar. Well, we don't believe in that, and we don't believe in that, and we don't do that, and you're doing that that's wrong, and because you're like that, we would never love you because of this. When you look at the message of Christ, it was always, I love you, and I want to be a part of your life, and I want to change you to what I'm calling you to be. Christ loves us so much that he won't allow us to remain who we are, but he loved us when we were who we were. Does that make sense? Let me repeat that. Christ loves us so much that he won't allow us to remain who we are, but he also loved us when we were who we were. So I, heard, I hear a lot of times this phrase, and I, and I think that this has gotten dated and it's gotten out of play, and I think that we should probably move on to a new phrase in Christianity. I hear people all the time say, love the sinner and hate the sin. But here's what I want you to realize. Christ died for the sin. The sin's been taken care of. So if we'll love the sinner and draw them to Christ, he'll take care of the sin. And so we have got to be loving those around us. We've got to be caring about those around us. You say, well, does that mean that we just don't tell them about sin? No, let me, let me talk about that just for a second. The first, there's three aspects <clears throat> to this compelling message. All right, so there's three aspects to this compelling witness. The first one is this. And, and I think it's important for us to start here is the severity of sin. The severity of sin. Jonah 1-2, he says this. He says, Jonah, go into Nineveh and cry out against that great city because they've sinned against me. He doesn't start with grace. He, not, he wants them to know sin is the disease that you're fighting. Sin, it will be the end of you if you don't change it. But I want you to understand this. Jonah didn't have to go into Nineveh and tell them all the sins they were doing, right? I want you to notice that. He went in and he said that, in fact, the message that finally works in Jonah, if you study the passage, when he finally goes there after the whale spits him out, Jonah goes in and all he says is 40 days and the Lord's going to judge you. You better change. That's basically what he says. 
Conviction sweeps across the whole land. The king gets saved. Everybody is in mourning because of their sin. And it was because Jonah went in and specifically said, you're doing this sin and you're doing that sin and we hate this sin and we hate that sin. No. Listen, we all know when we've done wrong. We, we, we almost never have to be told when we've done wrong. We are aware of our faults and our sins and our failures. And the Spirit speaks within us and says, this is wrong. This is not what you should be doing. But we've still got to cry out and tell that sin is a problem. I've got a quick video I'm going to show here. Um, it should pop up. Just There it is. You got volume? Both of them riding on an airplane. The first man, the flight attendant, walks up, gives him a parachute and says, this is your parachute. It is for flight enhancement. It will make your flight better. So the man puts on the parachute. It's heavy. It's cumbersome. It causes him to sweat. It's uncomfortable. He starts to look around and he realizes that most of the other passengers aren't wearing parachutes. Why does he have one on? And about then, turbulence hits the plane. And he comes to this realization that this parachute is not making his flight any better. And so he quickly takes off the parachute, never to put it on again. But the second man, the second man, the flight attendant approaches and she says to him, this is your parachute. At some point during this flight, you're going to have to jump out of this plane at 25,000 feet. You don't know when, but it's going to happen. The man quickly puts on the parachute. He understands its purpose. Oh, it's heavy on his shoulders. It's cumbersome. It's uncomfortable. It causes him to sweat. He looks around and realizes that most of the passengers are not wearing a parachute. And this concerns him. He thinks they probably need one. But nothing you can say would get him to take off that parachute. Why? Because he understands its purpose. He understands that it is his only hope if he's going to make it. I'm going to cut him off a little bit this, here. Here's what I want you to understand. The difference in the man who saw the parachute as life enhancement and the man who sees the parachute as a saving grace is the understanding of sin. It's as simple as that. I've known many people that came to Christ under the false pretense that Christ was going to come and make them rich or make them powerful or make them happy or make them healthy. When in the reality is God can change those things and sometimes he chooses to put some of those things into your life. But the purpose of salvation is not to make you happier or healthier or richer. The purpose of salvation is to take care of the sin that will cause you doom at the end. And the thing that we've got to understand is that when we share the gospel with people and omit sin, we don't talk about sin. We don't uh, help them understand that their sin is what they need salvation from. They just think that I'm just getting in this club that's got some fun things and I'm going to be a part of it come on Sundays and, and it'll just be a lot of fun and I'll be happier and healthier and richer because of it. I want you to understand this. If we see sin in somebody's life, and choose, as a Christian, not to talk to them about it. And I'm not talking about everybody you see. I'm not telling you to go out in the street and proclaim you know, every sin to every person you see. But if there's somebody in your life that's got sin, and we don't talk about sin, I'm going to compare that to the doctor who sees cancer, but doesn't tell the person they have cancer because it might offend them. Right? Would that be a good oncologist? If they see you've got cancer, there's probably something we could do about it. But it's bad news, and I don't want to be the one that shares bad news. And you might get mad at me, and I don't want to be the one that you get mad at. And you might think less of me because I had to tell you you had cancer. I don't, I don't want to say all that. And so we talk ourselves out of 
being a witness because we say they, they're, they're happy in their sin. Let me just leave them alone. Let me tell you something. Be, be reminded. Every person you see, every person you meet, every person you've ever known needs Christ. And the only difference in a Christian and a non-Christian is which ones have accepted him and which ones haven't. So the first aspect to a, to a compelling witness is the severity of sin. We have to help people understand that sin isn't just some bad stuff you did. Sin separates us from Christ for eternity. Second thing that we've got to have for a compelling witness is the saving grace of Christ. Now let me, uh, let me just be very clear here. The two things that have to happen for somebody to accept Christ is this. They have to know that they're a sinner and they have to know that they need him and accept him for salvation. That's the prerequisites for salvation. Listen, we get so wrapped up and say, well, you need to stop this and stop that and stop this and stop that and then turn to Christ. That's putting the cart before the horse. There's two aspects that Christ does at salvation. Number one is he redeems you. He takes you and he makes you righteous. That has nothing to do with our actions. That's all Jesus Christ. And after salvation, what he starts to do is sanctify you. So here's what we too often tell people. You've got to change who you are so Christ can accept you and be saved. That's not how it works. I was still wicked and sinful when Christ saved me. And because of that salvation, he changed me. And the same thing's going to be true for everybody that you come in contact with. Your job is not to tell them to quit sinning. Your job is to tell them that Christ is the answer for their sin. It's as simple as that. And he's the one that makes the changes. He's the one that's going to make them into what he's called them to be. The saving grace of Christ. The third thing is this, the personal story of the witness. Now you may be sitting here and saying, I don't, I don't know every verse that I'm supposed to share. I don't know everything that I'm supposed to say. I don't know how I'm supposed to be this witness that you're telling me I'm supposed to be. Maybe that's true, but I would say you do know your story. You do know what Christ has done for you. You do know the difference that he's made in your life. And you can tell somebody about that. It's just like this. Let me tell you something. I, I love to eat. I don't know if you can tell, but I love to eat. Let me tell you, the first thing I'm going to do if I find a good restaurant is tell somebody about that restaurant. Right? Something good happens in your life. You get a job. You get a promotion. Something great happens in your marriage, in your family. Are you going to hide that and keep it to yourself? No. We're built to want to share the good things in our lives. So why do we resist it when it comes to Christ? Why aren't we sharing the good things that he's doing in our lives? It's as simple as this. Somebody says, man, you're so blessed, your family. And it's as simple as saying, God has blessed us. And that opens the door to conversation. You say, well, that's so simple. It couldn't be so simple as that. I can tell you from personal experience, Multiple times where I've led somebody to Christ has started with a conversation where they said, oh, your girls are so beautiful or your family's so beautiful. And I said, yeah, God's been really good to me. All it is is pointing back to who has been good in your life, who has given you the blessings in your life, who has taken care of you in your life. If you're going to have a compelling witness, if you're going to have bait that's going to get fish on the hook, right? If you're going to bring people to Christ, it's going to be the severity of sin, the saving grace of Jesus, and your personal story. That's what he created us to do. You say, well, how do you know that? There's multiple examples throughout the Bible. You can look at all the disciples, how they share their story. You can look at how Jesus shares his own story. You can look at the, uh, the woman at the well. It says all she did was run into town and tell everybody what Jesus did. And they came and asked him themselves. That's what I'm calling you to do. That's what God's called you to do. If you're a follower of Christ, that's what you've been called to do. 
And the last thing is this. And this is for encouragement for you. Maybe you say, well, I've done it in the past and I've tried to witness and I've tried to, you know, I've even argued with someone and I've worked so hard to try to bring somebody to church or bring somebody to Christ and I just didn't seem to make any progress. This is the last thing. Keep on casting, right? So what makes me a terrible fisherman is not that I don't necessarily go where the fish are or not necessarily that I don't have the right bait, but I'm the type of person, if I've cast twice and something hasn't bit, I'm like, Bad day, got to go home. It's over. I'm going home. Uh, you know, some of you may know this about Ben already, but Ben is the type that gets in a, a kayak and goes out. How many, how many miles, Ben? Like two, three miles? Goes out in a kayak two or three miles to get where the fish are. And then how long do you stay out there, Ben? <laughs> that, that should tell you enough right there. That laugh means a long, long time. He doesn't cast, the, net, he doesn't cast the, the rod once or twice, give the bait out there once or twice, and then just quit. He stays out there and he keeps on casting. We look at Scripture. Here's what the Bible says. The first thing that the, 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 the owner said is this. He sent his slave. So there's the start of the process. Go out, compel them to come in. Get my friends. I already told them about the party. You go, just bring them back. Nobody came. Next thing. He's told again in verse number 21 and 23. Go out. Go out. And the last thing I want us to really understand this is in verse 22, he says, there is still room. Let me tell you something. If we're still here on earth and we're still living on this planet and Christ hasn't returned, let me tell you just a, a little secret. There's still room. God's still drawing people to himself. Christ still wants to save souls. He still wants you to be a part of it. You say, maybe you say, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm retired and it's been so long. Let me tell you something. If you're here on earth, God wants you fishing. So I'm too young. You know, I don't, I don't really, I've only been a Christian for a couple years. I don't really know the right words to say. Let me tell you something. If you're here on earth and you believe in Christ and you're a follower of Christ, you're supposed to be fishing. There's no, there's no um, retirement date from being a fisher of men. There's no probation period before being a fisher of men. We are called at day one to go out and tell others what Christ has done for us. In fact, I talked about the woman at the well just a moment ago. You see her story. She comes to realize that Christ is God and that Christ can change her whole life. And the very first thing she does is go and tell everybody she knows what Christ did for her. She didn't wait. She didn't have a probation period. She didn't need to take a 20-step program and learn how to share it a specific way. God made you with your personality and your sense of humor and who you are to reach the people that he's put in your sphere of influence. I'm calling you today to do what Christ has already called you to do. Go fish. Go where the fish are, fish with the right bait, and just keep on casting. Last passage here is what we'll close with. <clears throat> this is actually Matthew chapter 9, verse 36 through 38. The key to that passage is this. Matthew says this, the harvest is plentiful and laborers are few. Let me tell you something. You walk around and here's the thing, in America, we've gotten so used to saying how wicked the world's gotten, right? You, you see that all the time. Well, it's just so wicked. It's not like it used to be. It used to be a Christian nation. We used to have the Bible in our schools, and we, we kind of reminisce about when we used to be Christian. And rather than doing anything about it, we just complain and leave it there. Let me tell you something. You have noticed that the harvest is plentiful. There's tons out there that need Christ. But the second part I need you to realize is that you're called to be one of those laborers. 
And more, the more of us that go out and fish, the more of those out there that are going to know Christ. If you really want to change your world, let me tell you something. I believe it's important to vote. I believe it's important to be involved in local and, and national politics. I believe it's important for us to be vocal about things that we believe. But let me tell you something. If we're really going to change our world, it's not going to be in Washington. It's not going to be in Tallahassee. It's not going to be because of our votes. The change in our world is going to be because one individual goes to another individual and brings them to Christ. You say, how do you know that? Because that's how it's always changed. If we want to change our world, We've got to do what we've been called to do, and that's go fish. Let's all stand, heads bowed, eyes closed as uh, the musicians come. Today has been a really practical message. It's just been um, the how-to of what we've been called to do. <clears throat> and, but maybe you're here today. You say, I, you tell me to go fish. You tell me to go do these things, and I don't even know if I have a relationship with Christ. I don't even know what it means to be a Christian Maybe that's you today here, and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior. You don't have a relationship with Him. Let me tell you, it's so simple. The Bible is so clear that we just have to follow the ABCs to become a Christian. The first thing is to admit that we're a sinner. The second thing is believe that Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for our sins. And the third thing is C, to confess that He's the only way to salvation. That's the ABCs of salvation. There is no work. There is no job. There is no amount of money you can give for salvation. It's only about Jesus. Maybe you've never accepted Christ. Today would be the day. Come down and, and come to the altar and let's, let's talk about that. But maybe you are here and you've been saved and you know Christ and you feel like you're a follower of Christ and you know the Bible, but you feel convicted that you've just never been fishing. You're not going out. You're not reaching out. I hope that today would be the day that you commit not that you're going to go and beat people with tracks or beat them over the head with the Bible, but you're going to be conscious that you are the light in their lives. Maybe that's you today. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. God, I thank you so much for the privilege. Lord, just the gift of salvation that you've given to each and every one of us. God, you've made it free for all, God, but we must accept you. I pray, Lord, if there's anybody here today that hasn't accepted you, that today would be the day that they walk down the aisle and get it right with you, Lord. They get to know you and start that relationship with you. God, we have so many people in our church that love you and follow you and are faithful to you, God. And I pray that you would just help us to be confident, Lord, that you have called us to fish. God, I pray that you just help us to be willing to step out of our comfort zones, to go maybe where we wouldn't normally go so that we can reach out and follow you. God, I pray that you'd bless our time together. Lord, if there's anyone here today that just doesn't know what it is that you're calling them to do, God, I pray that you'd just compel them to come and to follow you. And Lord, to faithfully show that they know that they need you, that they know that they need to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we sing together. The altar is open. Take up thy cross and follow me. I heard my master say,
so glad. You guys look so much taller down here, let me tell you. I, I should start <laughs> preaching down here. We feel the same height. Um, I am so glad you're with us this morning. I hope that I was a challenge to you. I hope that you go out this week excited and just fired up to reach those that God's already put in your life, that he's already working on. I know Jim and Kay are coming to be members. Next week we'll present them to be uh, joining. And so God is doing great things in our church. I want you to be a part of it. Pray about how God would use you in our church. You are dismissed. Thank you.